Thanks, you can be seated. Hey, Sunridge, if, uh, if you're new here, I just want to let you know, uh, immediately following this service in a room right out there, uh, we have a brunch for all new folks at Sunridge. So if you're, if you're new to Sunridge, you want to know more about us, I would love to meet you. It's a great opportunity for you to come and just hang out and learn a little bit about our church. It lasts about an hour. It's free. You get free food. We have child care. And so I'd love to have you guys come to that. If you don't know me, my name's Britt. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. And, um, you know, a myth is a widely held but false belief or idea. And, you know, I think often with Christians... We hold many myths. In fact, I think when it comes to money, when, um, I think sometimes our relationship to money is kind of bipolar. We're either talking about uh, the evils of ex- the excess of money or we're talking about you know, how you should give more. <laughs> and so in that confusion, myths arise, commonly held things. And One of the myths that I think that is persistent is that money can't make you happy. Now, I know some of you are getting really worried right now. That's okay. Stay a little worried because you'll pay attention to what I'm going to say. How can the thing that makes the world go round not make you happy? In fact, my main point today is this. Money can make you happy. I know you're ready to debate me, some of you, or I'm making you uncomfortable, but before we get into it, let me, let me just acknowledge that true meaning and joy comes when we're in right relationship with God, right? And that's true of every area of our life. In fact, isn't it true that when you're in right relationship with God, you avoid a lot of the pitfalls of life? regardless of the area. And isn't it also true that when we're in right relationship with God, the good is enhanced? Isn't it true that when my relationship with my spouse is in right relationship, that relationship is so much better? Um, isn't it true that uh, if I'm in raising my kids and parenting, if I'm, if I'm seeking God's ways in that, isn't, isn't my family life richer? If I'm trying to be in right relationship with God about where I work and how I perform there. It's like, doesn't that go better for us? And you know, finances are in the same category. If you're still struggling with that idea, I want you to consider a couple things. First of all, consider the fact that Jesus told a parable, a story we call the parable of the talents. And in that story, there are employees of a business owner who have been given an assignment and they do well at it, two of them. And at their review, the employer calls them in and says, you have done a great job. They get an attaboy from their boss, from the owner of their company. And he says to them, not only have you done a great job, but I want you to come and share my happiness. Which means like he's just, he wants them to enjoy this moment, this success, But also he's saying, you know, like, there's going to be something in it for you. Don't you think that they felt happy in that moment? Consider this, that most scholars tell us that in Jesus' entourage, as he traveled around, you know that there were women with them. 
And some of those women came from very wealthy households. And scholars tell us that they likely funded the ministry of Jesus. Do you not think that they felt great happiness in being part of what God was doing in the world at that time? Of course they did. And the Apostle Paul talks about the overwhelming joy that came about in, uh, in these believers at Corinth when they had shared out of their own poverty to help another community. And he talked about the joyousness of generosity. See, when, when we're in right relationship with God in our lives, including our financial life, there's happiness, there's joy. In fact, if you're not a Christian, you see, you know, like there, there's so much talk about what is a Christian? Really, all a Christian is, is, is someone who is aligning their lives with what God is doing. We're bringing ourselves under the subjection of the kingdom of God. And that includes every area of our life. Although some of those areas are more difficult than others, right? Um, money is something we touch every day. And it affects so much of our lives. For a good number of Christians, though, when we think about money, it doesn't bring happiness. In fact, in our little in-house survey that we took last week, over a third of you told us that you were stressed to think about money and your financial future. So today what I want to do in talking about how money can bring happiness is I want to look at the biblical principles that surround this topic and I want to look at it from the reverse side. I want to talk about the things about money that make us unhappy through the lens of the Scripture. So money makes us unhappy. Three ways I want to talk about today. The first one is this. Money, money makes us unhappy when we don't know our situation. When we don't know our situation. You know, in the industry of public safety like fire or police or in the military or any place that there's life or property risk. There's a phrase that's used, I think I've mentioned it here before, situational awareness. It means that you have to be aware of what's going on around you at all times because it's easy in those emergency situations to get tunnel vision. In fact, a lot of training goes in to firefighting to be able to recognize a lot of the risks just from seeing smoke. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but like I used to be a firefighter. And they did a great amount of training just on being able, they called it read smoke. You know, we can tell a lot about a fire before we even get to the incident by the color and the way the smoke is acting. And you know, the, the big uh, newsworthy fires are the ones where there's a lot of flame and everything, but those are some of the safest fires to fight. It's the flameless fire that kills firefighters. Because when you arrive at a house or a structure and it is, it's tight, there's no oxygen getting in there, yet there's a fire, everything is smoldering and reaching these high temperatures. And there's all this particulate that is ready to burn in the air of the, of the structure. All it needs is someone to open a door or break a window and oxygen, oxygen is infused into that environment and you have an explosion. It's called a backdraft. There was a great movie called Backdraft. 
And uh, if, you've, if you've seen that movie, I want to tell you that the fire scenes are totally unrealistic. But the, fire, the firehouse scenes are very realistic. But you can show up to an incident and not even recognize what's happening. And in fact, it's backdrafts kill a lot of firefighters. So they train us to be aware of our situation. Jesus exposed the foolishness of not knowing our situation financially in Luke 14, 28, when he said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Only not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it. For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. You know, Jesus also tells a very unappealing story about someone called the prodigal son who takes all of his inheritance and he wastes it and he finds himself destitute. Whether it was a foolish builder or a foolish son, both of them would have benefited from being more aware of their situation, and so would we. What are the most important things in life to you? Many of you would say, well, my husband or my wife or my kids. You might say your home or your car. You may even say your mountain bike or your surfboard. And that would be okay, because this is a safe place to say that. <laughs> Let me ask you about anything that's of importance to you. Do you know where it is right now? Do you, do you know its situation? I'll bet you do. Can you ever imagine not keeping track of those things that are most important? Like, I bet you know where your kids are right now, or you think you do. Our family recently um, all kind of joined in on this new app. It's called Life360. And you can tell where everybody in your little circle is, which is both fascinating and uh, kind of creepy at the same time. You know, so now we're texting each other. It's like, hey, why are you doing only 55 miles an hour? You know, we're like, we know where everybody is. We have kids in the British Virgin Islands right now, and we can see where they are. You know, I mean, it's a great tool to track your children. <laughs> I mean, you can't imagine not knowing where your kids are or their situation because they're important to you. The writer of Proverbs, the book of wisdom, in Proverbs 27, 23 says this, be sure you know the condition of your flocks and give careful attention to your herds. Now, flocks and herds, sheep, were the coin. They were the money the economy of this day. And what this wise saying is saying to them and to us is, look at it, how emphatic it is. Be sure. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. When I was in junior high school, um, I caught my dad spying on me one time. This is something that parents do, and I'm not embarrassed to say that I did it with my children as well, but I was at Carroll City Park, a local hangout, and I was hanging out with my friends, and I think my dad was kind of worried about the thug life that I was leading, so like I'm, you know, messing around with my friends, and then I noticed like there's like some movement over behind some bushes, <laughs> and I'm like, that's my dad, and I didn't say anything to my friends, but I'm like, I'm watching him like, what is my dad? And then it's like dawned on me. He's spying on me. 
So when we got home, we had this big fight. You know, I was like, Dad, you're like, you know, in my business. You know, I'm an adult. I'm 13. You can't be following me around. And, um, you know, he explained it to me differently. Why did my dad do that? Because he's a creeper? No. He did it because he loved me. And I was of value to him. And if something happened to me, it was going to greatly affect his happiness, right? So here's the thing in knowing your situation. You should spy on your money. <laughs> spy on your money so you know what it's up to and where it's going. You should know the condition of your flocks. And you should give careful attention to it. Because knowing gives us joy. Knowing gives us confidence. Knowing gives us freedom. I can remember this dramatic moment in Cindy and I's life. We, for our 20th anniversary, we went to Hawaii. It was our first trip. We went to Kona. And there's two things I remember about that trip in particular. Um, one was that I almost drowned her at Magic Sands Beach, if you've ever been there. Um, and the other was, I think it was the first vacation where I knew I had the money to go on vacation. I had set it aside. And so I wasn't stressing while on vacation about the money I was spending, that the bills were going to be waiting for me. I knew I had it. So when we kicked it in one night and we got a Pizza Hut pizza that cost us $37, I wasn't sweating it. I'm like, babe, this is our 20th anniversary. Throw all the stuff on there you want that pizza to have. Because <laughs> we're, we're ballers. We're big time. Actually, we did, did go to some nice places. And you know what we learned? Like, we'd rather have a pizza than some guy like circling around here and then coming over and scraping the crumbs off our table. It's like, dude, leave me alone. I'm not that messy. You're making me feel messy. You compare that feeling of being on vacation and know you planned it and know you have the money to like many vacations that we had taken where I was anxious while we're on vacation, doing nice things. Or maybe even the Christmas bills that are about to come to some of us here. Wouldn't simply knowing your situation be a great victory for you? So in order to do that, Here's some real simple but practical advice. Create a family budget. If you have a family, create a family budget. Because 61% of you told us that you don't have a written budget. And 70% of you have never taken Financial Peace University or an equivalent, like a, a course on how to budget your money. It's not a bad word, budget. Uh, when our kids were growing up, we had pretty strict rules about the language you could use around the house. And um, so, but, so because we did, my girls would rat me out when I used words I wasn't supposed to. And one day they ran to Cindy and said, Dad said the S word. It was stupid. I said the stupid word. See, I told you we had a high level. They heard me say other words and told on me each time. Budget is not the B word. It's not a bad word. 
Because a budget doesn't have to be painful, it doesn't have to be complicated, it's simply a list of expenditures and income. And it tells you your situation. And most of us could use help in doing that. You know, the, like Heather was saying earlier, this course that we're doing is, is kind of, it's, it's the accompaniment to what we're doing here on Sunday morning. We can't do everything in this room. This room has limitations in our time, but like, you really should make an investment. If you've never taken a budgeting course, I want to tell you, like, join us and many other Sunridge folks for FPU. Maybe you just need a, a review. I'm telling you, one, that course is really good. Dave Ramsey is a great communicator. It's not boring, blah, blah, blah. And two, it will change your situation. Since money is so much a part of our lives, and it's going to affect every part of our lives, it's also going to affect our emotional being. It makes sense to invest some time in bringing that into right relationship with God. If you, if you don't know your situation financially, you won't be happy. And if you're a Christian, you'll be disobedient. So lean into this. And I'm promising you'll be happy. You'll be happy that you did. Second thing that I think that makes us unhappy about money is when everyone else is telling you what to do with money. You know that feeling? You've maybe... Like you, like me, like your schedule gets out of control and, and it just feels like everybody else is telling me what to do. And it can feel the same way financially. In fact, some of us have, you've probably said, I've said it's like, man, I would really love to fill in the blank, but I can't financially. Now, I have hopes and dreams that are far beyond what God is ever going to allow me to make in this world. So that's not what I'm talking about. You know, there are times when we say that, and it's, it's just totally true. I mean, we all have things that we want that we're never going to have. But, like, how often have you said that and then thought to yourself, why can't I have that? It's like, look how much money I made last year, and I'm still in this situation. I should be able to do that, but for some reason, I can't. You know, in our survey, uh, over a third of you told us that, you know, you're, you're carrying, you feel like you're carrying more debt than is wise. I, I would venture to say, based on American statistics, that it's actually higher than that. But I can remember a time when Cindy and I were early married. I was a youth pastor in Huntington Beach, and uh, I made $12,000 a year. It's $1,000 a month. And even back in the day, that wasn't much money. And so, you know, there were times where we had bills out and we were deciding which ones we were going to pay, which one had priority. And maybe you've been there. When, when you're doing that, who's telling you what to do with your money? And are you happy? Probably not. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. 
Isn't that true? Uh, we have uh, some next-door neighbors. They have a sweet 10-year-old kid, and um, he's, he's a good-sized 10-year-old. But his grandma was telling me that he had been getting picked on at school. There was a bully at school. And they had tried to work with it within the situation. And, you know, finally, reluctantly, they just said, you know, you're just going to have to shove him back. And he did. And you know that bully backed down just like that. And he was free from the bullying of this other student. Maybe you've had a bossy friend in your life, or maybe you had a big brother. I was the bossy big brother. So you know what it's like to be shoved around. You know, money can be a bully. Money will boss you around if you let it. But instead of having everyone else tell you what to do with money, why don't you boss money around? Boss money around. Say to money, you're not the boss of me. That's not just good advice for a big brother. That's good advice for what, you know, this consumeristic culture is telling us constantly. You know, as a Christian, like anyone else, we want to be wise with what God has given us. But there's a unique perspective in being a Christian and bossing your money around. It is this. It's not your money. See, as a Christian, we operate under the acknowledgement that God is in control of my life. And so I want to submit my will to his and bring myself under the authority of God. He is the ultimate master to whom I will answer. In fact, I've given you this definition of what it means to be a steward. It's in your notes. I'm going to put it on the screen as well. A steward is one who has been entrusted with another's resources and who seeks to manage those resources according to the owner's vision and values. That's what God calls us to do in every area of our lives, and it includes our financial life. The gospel calls us to recognize that everything we have is a gift from God, and those gifts are to be submitted to his will and his way, and there's blessing in that. The scripture even calls Christians to be caretakers of God's gifts and his truth. In 1 Corinthians 4, 2, Paul said, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. God is constantly entrusting us with our children, with the gospel, with um, our jobs, with our resources, with our money. And he says, I want you to be faithful. You are my manager. You are my steward. So the way we boss money around is with that idea. Money will always be competing with God in our lives. Jesus said in Luke 16, 13, no servant can serve two masters. We're constantly being pulled back and forth. If you're a Christian today and I ask you, like, who, who is Lord of your life? You would say Jesus. If I asked you, whose money is it that you possess? You would probably say God's as well. But if I asked you, who is really telling you what to do with that money? 
I bet some of us would struggle with whether God's in control of that. So instead of letting everybody else boss us around, we should submit our hearts and our minds to God's way in bossing his money around. That's the point, right? We submit our heart and mind to God. You know, over half of you in the survey said that you could use some help in aligning your finances around biblical principles. You know, budget's part of that and scripture and all, but really, listen to me, Christian, it's really a heart issue. It really comes down to what we do, what do we really believe about God? Most of us believe that, you know, we believe that we invest our time in theology and that comes from God and in our church and in our families and with our children and our marriage and our workplace. We, we get that connection. But as I quipped last Sunday, the wallet is the last part of us to be converted. That's true, isn't it? For some reason, that's a struggle for us. And I think it says something about what we believe about God. The psalmist said in Psalm 57.10, Great is your love, reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Do you believe that? If you're a Christian, do you, what do you believe about God? Is, is he reliable? Does he have a love that reaches to the heavens? And is he faithful in a way that like, can't even be imagined? as expansive as the universe? Or is God like this mean-spirited being that, that wants to make you miserable? Is he a trickster? Sometimes I think, we think that God's like this cosmic killjoy and whatever we submit to him, he's going he's gonna to make us miserable in it. You can just count on that. I don't think that that's the God that we serve. You know, I wouldn't place my heart or anything that I love and appreciate in, into the hands of someone that I didn't trust. In the end, for every Christian, what it comes down to, what do, what do I really think about God? Because the heart issue is really the thing we have to face. And when we face that, you'll find that it's convicting, it's revealing, but it's also freeing. And we have to ask, why why do I hold this part away from God? I think God knows that we would do that. That's why, there's, why Jesus talks so much about money. Why, why in the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi invites us as the voice of God. He says, test me. Test me about your finances. Go ahead. Try me. And I would say, test him. If you're a Christian... Whatever you believe to be biblical principles, and we've tried to cover those over the years here, but like whatever you think it is, really apply those in your life for the next three months and see if God can be trusted. I think what you'll find is you'll be in alignment with, with what God has designed for you. And you'll experience great freedom and great happiness if you do so. Emancipate yourself from the slavery 
of allowing everybody else to tell you what to do with money and then instead allow God to lead you in this way. Last reason um, we become unhappy about money is this. When we love money more than loving what it can do. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 9. He says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men and women into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is, the, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. You know what's interesting in this uh, little paragraph? Paul talks to this young pastor, Timothy. It's like, he's not saying, hey, you're going to have financial problems if you don't do money God's way. He's saying that if we love money more than the things that really matter, then we're going to fall into all kinds of traps. It's kind of like, it's the root of many things. It will even cause you to wander away from faith when money becomes so important to you over and above what money can do. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. When money is the pursuit, it will never satisfy it will never bring happiness. Money, I've heard it said, is, is like bricks. You know, you can, if you had a brick, you, you can do a lot of things with that brick. You could throw it and cause damage. You could pile them all up, and you could bow down and worship those bricks. You could idolize them. You could waste them. You could just, like, toss them away without ever thinking about them. Or you could take those bricks, and you could build something. That's what I'm trying to say here. We should love money for what it can do because it brings great happiness when we see it through that lens. We love Dr. Seuss in our house and we've been through all those books with our kids and now we're reading them to our grandkids and we have our favorites, but one of our favorites is not, it's in the series, but it's not written by Dr. Seuss. It's called Put Me in the Zoo. Anybody ever read that book to your kids? Put me in, that's all? Put, put up your hand if you know put me in a zoo. People, you got to get on the program here. It's about this amorphous animal. I don't know if it's a bear or what it is. I can't really tell. But uh, he has spots on him. And he wants to be put in a zoo because of all the things his spots can do. And that's, that's basically what the book is. But when I think about it, it's like, yeah, we should think that way about money. Look at all the things that it can do. And when, when we look at life through that lens, look at our finances, then there's great joy. You've probably done something with money in your life that felt really good because you saw what it could do. And it made you happy to do it. You see, money is a resource that can be used to create earthly and heavenly happiness. Jesus said in Luke 16, 9, I tell you, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. And in this way, your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven. See, money does something here, and it does something of lasting value. Money pays the bills. 
Money puts food on the table. Money puts a roof over your head. Money lets you go on vacation. Money buys Little League and soccer uniforms. Mon money sends kids to college. Money provides clean water in Africa for children. Money builds churches. And money allows the Bible to be translated into languages that it's never been in before. Look at all the things that it can do. And when it does, when, when we allow it to do that, doesn't it make you happy? I'm going to ask the band to come up. And I want to just rewind here to say, Christian, money can make you happy. It can make you happy when you know your situation. It can make you happy when you submit your heart and will to doing it God's way. And when you look at it through the lens of what it can do in the world and in the lives of others. You know, that's my sermon. But I want to wrap up by just one last encouragement to you guys. If you've been a Christian five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, you really need to understand something about Sunridge. Sunday morning has its limitations. It, it has some great benefits. All of us in a room together, coming together to worship God and to hear uh, remarkable Bible teaching. But it's limited because there's no way that a pastor can address every person where they are every time, every day. That cannot happen. So our Sunridge model, the way we do church here, says we're going we're gonna to do everything we can, what this room is designed to do. But here's the thing. It's only a start. If our messages leave you wanting a little more, you should want more. People, you cannot survive off 30 minutes of Bible teaching a week. Not by me. Thank you. I don't know how to feel about that. You're agreeing with me. <laughs> no, that is totally the truth. And you know, it really dawned on me uh, last Sunday when you guys did the survey because a good friend of mine filled out his survey and he made sure that I got it because he made some jokes on it. We go back and forth and we, we, we tell jokes to each other about church and what we've talked about. And on a survey where it said, you know, could you use some advice, you know, often from uh, somebody, some financial advice? And he put on there, uh, I'm a CPA for crying out loud. <laughs> and you know what I thought of? First of all, I thought, oh, I'm going to bust his chops about that. But second of all, I thought, that's it. Like every Sunday when we talk about something, there's somebody that's an expert in that field. And there's somebody, like when it comes to money, we have a CPA and we have someone who can't even balance their checkbook. It is impossible for one person to connect with every person week in and week out. So that's why our model is built upon addressing the strengths that can be done in this room. And yet, if you've been a Christian five years, 10 years, 15 years, you need more. You feel that you need more. You need to do more. You need to take that step. There's personal responsibility for you, Christian, to step outside of this church and get in a group, get in a study. If you can't find the one you're looking for, then start one. Because th this is how Sunridge works. You can decide for or against Sunridge, but I'm telling you, there's no way we can have a healthy relationship between a pastor and a congregation 
If you're relying on me to supply you with everything you need spiritually, I cannot do it. And it's unhealthy for you to expect me to do so, and it would be unhealthy to think that I could ever do it. Because what happens over time, and I've been in a ministry a long time, what happens over time is it's toxic between a church and a pastor. You will either make a monster out of me, or I will make a monster out of you. What I'm saying is, take that desire to do more, to know more, and jump in something. Do some personal Bible study. And, and get that more. And draw other people in that are of like-minded and give them more together. You do that. You're free to do that. And we have a structure to provide that for you if you don't know how to do it. So that's the other sermon. I want to encourage you that Sunday morning is not it. It's only the start. And I hope and trust that you're considering things like Financial Peace University and some of these other things that we're doing here at Sunridge, or you're considering starting something. You've been a Christian 20 years. Why haven't you started something? Why aren't you starting a study with people that, that need more? I'm encouraging you to do that. I want you to do that. It would be healthy for you to do that. And I think God would be glorified in that. Okay? Can I get a good hearty amen, amen on that one? All right. All right. There we go. Let's pray.